when he gets word of Saul and Jonathan's death and how it is that he responds to that. I do want to remind you, though, that this Sunday we have service again at 9 a.m., so um, that hasn't changed, but just want to continually put that before you because we know that it's a, a change from what we originally had. Um, you know, when we were having two services, we had 8 and 10 just to accommodate um, and, uh, and, and adapt to the social distancing and all of that. But, uh, but now that um, we've gotten to this point to where we, um, we have come to find out that we can have just one service and everyone fits, uh, we just went to one service and it's 9 a.m. So mark your calendars. If you're watching online, uh, whether it's YouTube or Facebook, uh, we'd love to see you um, here um, again, 9 a.m. this Sunday. Um, other than that, this Sunday is, um, is Father's Day. So that's going to be a, a special time coming together and uh, really celebrating dads through. Yay for fathers, yeah. The value of a father cannot be overstated. I, uh, I'll, ju- I'll just say this. I-, I grew up to a certain point with a father. And then I grew up the rest of the way without a father. And-, and I can tell you that I know that I would not have struggled as much. Perhaps I would have still been a knucklehead. But I, I wouldn't have struggled as much if I had a father there. Um, but let me just say this also in, re, in regards to that. And, and that's why we're going to do a special message. We're going to go through and we're going to take a look at fatherhood in, in, uh, in light of God's word. What, it, what the word says in regards to fatherhood. Because that's really important. I know the way it impacted me. Perhaps some of you can relate to this. Um, is that um, I, it was at that point where I really needed a father in my life. I was 11 years old. Imagine that. You know, I was just going from, from boy to being a young man. And, uh, and the things that I was experiencing and the changes that I was going through, um, they really impacted me. And, I'm, and I'm, I know that it was because of the absence of my father that I ended up challenging my mom um, much more than what I should have done, um, that those challenges would have been short lived if my dad was around. And, um, and so I, but I was always looking for a father figure. I was, and and I'd, I'd search in different places for someone to look up to, to kind of just emulate, to follow in that person's footsteps. Um, because I longed for that. It was just that, uh, you know, I'd see other friends that had their dads and many others that didn't. And uh, I just wanted that. But I, I looked in the wrong places. I followed um, some men who were, were not um, the right example. And so as you follow sometimes in those footsteps, you get led down this path of destruction. And, um, and I remember I was going down that path of destruction. But I want to fast forward to, because I was at you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18, all a path of destruction. I was into uh, drugs and partying, and I don't know how it is that I graduated from high school, um, but I did, because I think I, I did all of those things more than I went to school. Um, and, uh, and yet, by God's grace, I can look back and say I barely made it through high school. But it was at the point when I was in the Navy that I came to the Lord because I knew, by the way, that if I didn't like enlist in some branch of the military, that perhaps I, I may not make it like past my next birthday. I, I, I didn't think I was going to make it. I, just the path that I was taking. So I, I, I thank God that by his grace, he led me down this path. And I enlisted in the Navy. And it was there that I met this gentleman that led me to the Lord. And I was still looking for that father figure. I, and again, even the, the first two or three years in the military, when you have access to what you have access to in the military, especially, especially on some bases where if you're under the age of 21, you have free access to beer, no alcohol. 
uh, hard alcohol, but you have access to beer. That was not good. And then, then the what was expected of us, you know, kind of the culture of it, just kind of, it was a bad combination. But ironically, though, it was in the Navy that I met this man that was quite different. He was confident in himself. He was humble. And I asked him, and he told me, the difference is Jesus Christ in my life. Like, well, I want to know. And so he, he took the time to talk to me about Jesus Christ and the gospel. It was at the moment that I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ that, number one, my anger towards my father went away because I realized that I had been forgiven of much. And if I had been forgiven of much, who was I to not forgive my father? And so I forgave my father, number one. Number two, I truly stopped looking for a father figure here on earth. Because the one that fulfilled my every need was my Father in heaven. And as I read the Bible, as I get to know him better and better and better and better, I realize he is the perfect Father. And he is the one that I long to go be with someday. I think I'm a better son. I think we're better fathers when we realize that relationship and nurture it and really set ourselves under him. In a, in a way that we've surrendered truly our lives to him and follow him each and every day. I tell you that because it leads up to this coming Sunday. And because we know that, that our Father in heaven is the very one that we should be looking to. Everyone else will fall short. We will fall short with each other too. That's why we need compassion, we need patience, we need grace, we need mercy. We need all of those things toward each other because we're all going to fall short. But there's one who doesn't fall short ever, ever. And that's our Father, our Heavenly Father. And so we can look to Him. And and so that's why we can definitely uh, value um, fathers that are in the home, that are walking with the Lord, um, because it's beyond what we could ever uh, know this side of heaven. But their value and their impact is long-lasting. In fact, as we consider Samuel, Samuel, you see, died in, in 1 Samuel. And yet, we have 2 Samuel. So how is that possible? You know, how did he write 2 Samuel? Well, no, it's believed that um, the prophet Gad, prophets, Gad and Nathan, wrote 2 Samuel. But the impact that Samuel had, and that's why this second book is titled 2 Samuel, is because of the influence and impact that he had with King David and even in Saul to some degree and on even to his son Solomon, to David's son Solomon. And so that's why it's titled 2 Samuel. So dads, dads, you're very important. Make sure that you're walking with the Lord and that you're setting the right example and encouraging your children in the ways of the Lord. Raise them up in that way. All right, so let's get into our study this evening. So 2 Samuel chapter 1, if you're not there, please turn with me there. 2 Samuel chapter 1. So again, we've left 1 Samuel and are entering into 2 Samuel. In this chapter, David receives word that Saul and Jonathan have died in battle. And as we look at David, sorrow strikes his heart. He is grieving and he laments the death of, da- of, of Saul, King Saul, and his son Jonathan. And I would like to perhaps bring to your attention the manner in which David conducted himself in response to what he learns. This is something very important for us. Sometimes we get all into the details of, of what we have before us, and, and we miss some of those things that are extremely important for us to apply. And that is even the response that these people have, such as David, with, in light of the circumstances that they're faced with. And so I want to bring that to your attention, the way in which he inquired, responded, and referred to Saul, to his death, should be a lesson to each and every one of us. Often, especially today, we're so quick to catch a soundbite or a brief video, a brief post, 
a statement and quickly draw a conclusion as to what it means and even draw a conclusion with the person who writes it or shares it. We're so, so quick to do that. And we respond. We get in trouble when, when our, our, our mouths go before our brains. When we don't engage these before the, the mouth engages, right? And so we see with David how it is that he inquired. He, uh, he did his research a little more as he receives word from this Amalekite that Saul and Jonathan and many in, of the Israeli army had fallen. David took the time to inquire, to collect evidence, and address the issue in a way that glorified God. So we need to take note. Proverbs twenty four seventeen says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. In Matthew chapter 5, this is all to just set this up. This, this is what we're doing right now. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43, Jesus speaking, this is the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers... What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Especially as it pertains to brothers and sisters in Christ. We ought to consider John thirteen thirty five, Which says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. David's perspective and response was that of a man who was honorable and desired to bless God. Above all, I think if we put that before us, it will guard us from going in our own way many times. If we just think about that, hey, my whole goal, my whole purpose in life is to bring glory to God. And so I want God's perspective I want to be a man or or a woman who desires to bless God above all. So let's see what the Spirit has to say to the church this evening. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We ask your blessing. Speak to us, I pray. And may we be ready to listen and to truly understand what it is that you have to say to us individually, Father. We individually come together and we make up the church. And so it is, as we sit at your feet, we know that we will be blessed. We will grow in our maturity of you, our understanding of your word. And Lord, we'll all be better off. Our families, our marriages, our relationships with others. Lord, uh, we'll be better equipped to give an answer to those who question your character and don't know it. We will have an answer for those situations that we're faced with at times. And so that knowledge will become wisdom. And so that's what I pray, Father, that whatever it is that you have for us this evening, Lord, that you would do that that special work. We thank you, Father, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so 2 Samuel chapter 1 says, After the death of Saul, when David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag. And on the third day, behold, a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. And when he came to David, he fell to the ground and paid homage. David said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, how did it go? Tell me. And he answered, The people fled from the battle, and also many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. So we begin this chapter uh, continuing our story from the previous uh, chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 31. And what we're doing is we're, we're going from 
the situation and, and the scene being with Saul and the army of Israel and Jonathan and and uh, and, and we learned last the last chapter in First Samuel thirty one how it is that they had fallen, um, they had been conquered basically in that battle by the Philistines, and now we're shifting. We're now we're going uh, into a time where we're looking from David's perspective, taking into account what had taken place in the battle. Between Israel and the Philistines. Now David, as uh, we had studied, had been sent back to Ziklag uh, by King Achish because the generals, you could say, weren't really um, willing to take him into battle. And so he had to send him back to Ziklag. And we know that as he went back to Ziklag, that uh, he realized that the Amalekites had raided the camp, had uh, taken all of their wives and children captive. Um, all of their livestock was taken, just everything was taken from them. Now, after having inquired of the Lord, and this is a wonderful moment for David, it was that circumstance, it was those circumstances that drove him to go to the Lord. And after inquiring of the Lord and the Lord giving him confirmation, he chased down the Amalekites, was victorious over them, and returned to Ziklag with everything that he had lost. Uh, his wives, the, or the wives of all of his men and him and his, their children and all of their livestock. And we know that in addition to that, uh, this was what was considered David's spoil, was all the livestock of the Amalekites. And so they brought all of that back. So this whole situation, we know for David, this is important, was a pivotal point. It was a turning point for him. As he had searched, remember, for refuge in enemy territory, but was rejected by the enemy, and when faced with an enormous trial, he finally sought the Lord again. And, and sometimes that's what we come to, that we don't realize, even though he had been in Ziklag, in Philistine territory for 16 months, um, this whole time we know that he did not write one psalm, uh, we know that he did not seek the Lord. We don't have any record of that whatsoever. He was lying to King Achish, coming back saying that he had uh, really gone up against his own people. And so, of course, the king uh, was thinking that he was a stench to the Israelites. And so he was his forever. And so this was where David was up until the point where he realized that he needed to go back and seek the Lord. So it was a turning point for him. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, it says, But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now the manner in which David conducts himself in the following issue is a reflection actually of David strengthening himself once more in the Lord his God. You know, it's at that point of repentance that what comes after that and the way we conduct ourselves after the fact, should reflect that repentance that we have come to. It should really produce that moment, the fruit of the Spirit, as we once again come to that point of understanding and realizing that our perspective was off. Our relationship was not right with the Lord, but now we desire to bless and glorify the Lord. And so we make ourselves available to Him and the way we conduct ourselves reflects that repentance. So, when he and all the people returned to Ziklag, they had just been back for two days, and it says here that on the third day, this man shows up, torn clothes, dirt on his head. Like for us, we would think, what's wrong with this guy? You know, But for them, what it is, and he knew, David knew, it was, it was a sign of mourning. And so he knew this probably isn't good. You know, here's this, this man who was coming, this messenger. And he had all the signs of a man who was mourning. So this man approached David. He approached him very reverently. He... Uh, he introduced himself, he, he bowed down, and, and so he was very honoring to David. And so David simply asked where this man came from. 
And this man told David that he had escaped from Israel's camp. So please note here, though, that by his own testimony, he said that not that he was sent, but that he had escaped Israel's camp. He said, so I I escaped Israel's camp. And I've come here to tell you, David, what has happened. That battle between the Philistines and the Israelites did not end up very well. The Philistines, as they came against Israel, well, they killed many Israelites and they killed King Saul and they killed Jonathan. They're all dead. Now, again, I note that this man had not been sent, but rather escaped from Israel. Keep that in mind as, as we continue, because this conversation is, gonna, is going to continue with, uh, between David and this Amalekite. David will actually inquire more and get more details about this whole situation. That wasn't it. It wasn't just like he just told him that and that was it. He was done. He took his word and he moved on from there. The why of people bringing you news is important. Sometimes their motive as to why it is that they're telling you what they're telling you is important. It's something to consider. Why is it that you're telling me these things? What is the motivation? What's the reason for it? Sometimes there's this underlying motivation or reason you know, what's on the surface is one thing, but they're, they're trying to do something else. They're trying to make you think something that perhaps isn't there. And, and that's why as we look at David, I'm always praying for discernment. You know, I'm, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but if you ask more questions, you know, your, your, uh, your discernment seems to improve, you know, as you consider the answers that you're getting. The answers, the actions, consistency, all of these things begin to really matter. So what's the purpose? What what is the individual's purpose for bringing you this news? And that's what David was questioning. Notice also that this man immediately fell to the ground and paid homage to David when he came to him. It's interesting because he was in the Israelites' camp. These, these sometimes are the things that we kind of look over, but I don't know. I'm thinking, hey, this man was, quote unquote, loyal to King Saul and maybe Jonathan and all of them. And yet now he has escaped the camp of Israel and has now come to pay homage to, pay homage to David and to give him the news that King Saul and Jonathan were dead. It is implied by this man's actions that he knew that David was either next in line to the throne of Israel or he knew that Saul was David's enemy and thought perhaps this news would be good news to David and wanted to get in his good graces. Either way, I believe that this man was in it for himself. You know, because sometimes if you lend someone your ear... And they think that perhaps you have trouble with a certain person. And then something happens between them. They'll come and tell you about that other person and, 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 and think that perhaps that's good news to you. It's, it's to prop that, own, that person up. That's what, what that's designed to do. That's why we always want to know, why is it that you're telling me what you're telling me? Why is it? Discerning minds want to know. We want to know. But upon receiving the news, David asked more questions. So verse 5, as we continue, says, Then David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? And the young man who told him said, By chance I happened to be on Mount Gilboa. And there was Saul leaning on his spear, and behold, the chariots and the horsemen were close upon him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me. And I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me, Stand beside me and kill me, 
for anguish has seized me, and yet my life still lingers. So I stood beside him and killed him, because I was sure that he would not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm, and I have brought them here to my Lord. This was all a lie. It was all a lie. First Samuel chapter 31 verse 5 says, When his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. These, uh, these soldiers, they were experts. You could say experts in death. They knew definitely how to take someone out. And I would think that perhaps more than anyone, Saul's armor bearer would be skilled at doing this very thing. He would, he would know exactly how to take someone out. He knew that Saul had finally died, and it wasn't until Saul was dead that he took his own life. He fell on his sword. Remember that it wasn't until the next day, as we learned in 1 Samuel 31, that the Philistines came to strip the slain. So they came to inspect the bodies, make sure they were all dead, and take whatever was of value from them. And it was until the next day, it was the next day, when they realized that, hey, there's King Saul, we nailed him. And, and Jonathan too, there's Jonathan and his other sons, they're, they're right there with him. And his armor bearer. And so it was the next day when they came to strip the slain. And they found Saul and his three, three sons dead on Mount Gilboa. According to 1 Samuel chapter 31 and verse 8. And so as we consider what this Amalekite messenger was saying. There was something that wasn't adding up. It was contradicting. It wasn't there. This is where... When, when we again look into things and we start asking more questions, we start to see some inconsistencies. Especially when it comes to, hey, I want to honor and glorify the Lord, and yet things aren't matching up. That's when we start to ask more questions, right? Because this man definitely was contradicting the accounts of the events according to 1 Samuel 31, 5 and 6. It's more likely that this man, quote-unquote, by chance, his words, right, was on Mount Gilboa after Saul had died, along with his armor bearer, and saw an opportunity to get in David's good graces, knowing what he knew, and brought him Saul's crown and armlet as proof. And for me, as I look at this, it's like contradictory. Either one, one or the other is true. But I think he make, made the story up. If this were true, consider this, then it would have meant that an Amalekite ended Saul's life. Think about this too. Remember God told Saul to annihilate the Amalekites, to not leave one alive, and yet he did. It, it's interesting how the Amalekites could have come back in this way and been the ones to take Saul out, to take his very breath from him. This is interesting because Amalek is regarded as an illustration of the flesh. Now, if you, if you put that into perspective, Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So it is that when we want to toy with uh, the flesh, when we think that we can have the upper hand on the flesh, we are 100% wrong. And we are always proven wrong. When we have that opinion. Because it's an opinion that is against the very wisdom of God's word. 
Again, there are inconsistencies. Either one is true or the other one is true. When I find myself in this dilemma, I, I realize, okay, Lord, I'm, I, I have to yield to him. I, I have to. Why? Because I do call him my Lord. He is my God, and he's the one I follow. And I, and I teach that his word is true. So when there's a contradiction like that, and we say, oh, we can control the flesh. The word comes back and tells us, no, you need to exercise discipline over the flesh. You need to walk by the spirit. And the spirit will always lead you in all truth. The spirit will always bring you back to the word of God. He'll convict you. Respond to that conviction. Please do not ignore that conviction. Because the more we ignore that conviction and refuse to respond to that conviction, the harder our hearts get, and the Bible tells us that we can even get to the point to where our consciences are seared. There is no more feeling. There's nothing. It's like someone can tell us, hey, listen, what you're doing is is wrong. You're going against the word of God. You're going against God himself. And inside you're just saying, I don't really care. Whatever. I can do whatever I want to do. Well, the spirit is telling you, no, you don't understand. These are warnings. This is a, a, a good a good father. We spoke about a, father, a good father, and I've said this before in the last few weeks, I think several times, a good father will warn, will give the truth to their children, even if it's not what they want to hear. And oftentimes it's not what they want to hear, you know. But our father gives us the truth. He lays it all out. Let us not look over and gloss over the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because it's God trying to work in us the truth of His Word, that we may be safe in Him, that we may take refuge in Him, bless Him, and walk in a way that we have peace, knowing that we're right before Him. Oh, there's there's nothing like the satisfaction and contentment of knowing that you're walking humbly but confidently before the Lord. If you don't exercise discipline over the flesh, it will steal, kill, and destroy what the Spirit desires to do in glory to God. Well, the Amalekite told a story and showed David Saul's crown and armlet as evidence. And David responded to the testimony and evidence. Verse 11. Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. So this is David's response. What what a response. I mean, think about this. David, at this point, as he received word from this messenger, he tore his own clothing. He, He went into a time of fasting, of seeking the Lord. And this was all at the hearing, of, at the reception of the news of Saul and Jonathan's death and, and the fallen of many of the Israelites. In fact, David's influence was so uh, effective with, with amongst his own men that his, even his men went into a time of fasting and mourning themselves, weeping and fasting all day until evening. And so the rest of the day was spent grieving for Saul, grieving for Jonathan, and grieving for Israel. I want you to think about David in light of this. I want you to think about David and what Saul had done to him. He was grieving for Saul. Saul was very jealous of David. You could say that he even hated him. Remember how ten thousands of Israel's enemies were attributed to David while only thousands were attributed to Saul? That's where that that jealousy, you know, started. 
know, it's like, oh, so this was a song. This was a song that they would sing. Can you imagine the king coming back with, with David, who was his general at the time? He would come back and it's like, well, um, you know, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. And they sing that. It's like, this is what got under King Saul's skin. And he was like, there is no way. And that's where the jealousy, the, the bitterness, and the hatred toward David started. So think about this. Saul tried to kill David two times with his own spear. He, he failed, but he did try and kill him. Saul basically chased David out of the country, making him leave Basically, house, family, and just everything. And, you know, for David, of course, he's not justified in going to the enemy's camp. But yet, you could say that Saul was the reason why it was that David left and was in Ziklag. And yet, we know that David had spared Saul's life a couple times when he had the chance to kill him. But he wasn't willing to touch the Lord's Lord's anointed. And now, David was weeping for Saul. Yes, David was weeping for Saul. Again, this is this is like a great lesson for us. Talk about like a, a moment of conviction. If you think about what you've wished, desired for your enemies, and then you come across a story like this, and you realize that, that this is a man after God's own heart, that this blesses and honors the Lord, it glorifies Him, it's deeply convicting, especially with the little thoughts that we have going through our minds uh, of, of retaliation or vengeance, you know. It's like, no, no, no. The Lord says, vengeance is mine. Why, why is that? It's because we are fallen people. We don't know how to do vengeance perfectly. We always want to apply more than what's been applied to us. What's been done to us, we want we we want to oh, we want to do more to that other person. <laughs> we don't know how to do that. And so the Lord says, "Hey, listen, vengeance is mine." But as for David, at this point we see this and it's deeply convicting. He wept for Saul. Does David not know that he had been anointed 20 years earlier for the throne of Israel? You know, now, hey, now's your moment. This is it. Hey, the King Saul has been taken out and, and now's your moment right here. Why aren't you rejoicing? Why aren't you celebrating? Why aren't you dancing? You see, David's heart was right. He did not rejoice when his enemy fell. Proverbs twenty four seventeen says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. So how's your heart? Are you being careful to guard it against bitterness, anger, and hatred in the same way? Do you genuinely seek God's glory above your own fleshly desire to see your enemies fall? Because remember, God's heart. God desires that none should perish. And we know there's some pretty bad people out there. And yet, he didn't exclude one of them. God desires, this is his heart. God desires that none should perish. And David seemed to have the same heart. And he was grieving over the death of Saul. Verse 13 says, And David said to the young man who told him, Where do you come from? And he answered, I am the son of a sojourner, an Amalekite. And David said to him, How is it you were not afraid to put out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, Go execute him. And he struck him down so that he died. And David said to him, Your blood be on your head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I've killed the Lord's anointed. I couldn't imagine being this Amalekite. You know, as initially, you know, as he brings word to David, he's thinking 
um, this man is going to reward me for bringing him this news. Uh, the very fact that I took out who, who was once the man who was once his enemy, and now I'm bringing back his his crown and his armlet as proof that he has perished. And uh, and yet that's not what happened. I imagine that at the moment that this man saw David begin to mourn, and that all of his men begin to mourn and to fast until evening, I imagine he took a good hard swallow. And he was thinking, uh-oh, this may not end well, right? It was at that very moment that he thought, this is not the reaction that I was thinking I was going to see in David. Now, the Amalekites were indeed a nomadic group. But we need to remember that they were, it was, it was interesting also, Amalekite, an Amalekite came back to tell David about what had taken place between the Philistines and the Israel Israelites. And, um, and, and so these were also, the Amalekites were the very people who had raided the camp of David in Ziklag. And they had taken everything. And at this point, David didn't understand how this man, how it was so easy for him to take the life of Saul... He had no reservation whatsoever as far as his testimony was concerned. When it was over and over and over that David couldn't couldn't bring himself to doing that very thing. It's like, there's no way. This is the Lord's anointed. God selected this man. I don't don't have like that place. The Lord can raise up and the Lord can bring down. And the Lord does bring down and in some pretty amazing ways. Those whom he's lifted up, he's allowed to fall when they themselves are in a place where they shouldn't be. So David couldn't understand that. David acknowledged that Saul was appointed as king of Israel by God, and David was not in a position to touch this God-appointed leader. There's no way he was going to do it. If David would have considered all of Saul's offenses against him, then this Amalekite could have been justified. But he wasn't at all. And David immediately ordered the execution as a result of his own testimony, of his own actions. And for David, see, David could have turned around and done something different. He could have demonstrated outwardly as if he was very sorrowful. You know, like, I'm so sorry for the death of King Saul and Jonathan and all of the rest, and and we mourn for them and for Israel, and then turned around and rewarded this guy. Like, here, man, you know, thank you for bringing me word, and um, just, just honored him. But he didn't. He was consistent. Like, no, what you've done is wrong. Our follow-up actions to our initial responses will always demonstrate how sincere we truly are. Again, our follow-up actions to our initial responses will always demonstrate how sincere we truly are. Well, not only did David outwardly display his grief by mourning the death of Saul and Jonathan, but he also wrote this lament. David, we know, was a prolific writer. He uh, what a psalmist. I mean, he wrote many. As we have record of 150 of, of these. But he writes. So before we do, though, we'll give an explanation here as we see verses 17 and 18. So in verse 17 it says, And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan his son. And he said it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written in the book of Jashar. He said, and we'll go into it, but... So this book um, is also mentioned in Joshua chapter 10, verse 13. And uh, it's not a book that we have um, access to. We, we, we don't know of it. But we do have this that is before us that was also in that book. And so this is 
what David wrote regarding Saul and Jonathan, it was an expression of his sorrow. It, it was it was what was in his heart. This is exactly what was written. He was deeply, you see, affected, impacted by the death of Saul and Jonathan, as it is recorded here in these words. So now notice in these words how he refers to Saul and Jonathan, his description of them. Verse 19 says, Your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of or the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. You daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. You know, he uh, says several times uh, describing them as, as mighty. And as he says, hey, don't, don't speak of this in Philistine territory. In other words, don't, don't pass along this news around the world. Because the world will rejoice over their fall. And David did not want that. It's just here. We see here that David desired for everyone and everything to mourn with him. It's one of those, you know, it's interesting how it is that as we come together, you know, and, and we weep along each other, we, we mourn, we grieve. It's interesting how that just brings comfort. It brings strength and, and it's what's necessary in the moment, right? So desired, you know, David desired for everyone and everything to mourn with him. He also notes that Saul and Jonathan were united through and through, father and son. They were united through and through. They were mighty warriors, both of them together. As for David's love for Jonathan, it was a beautiful, godly, brotherly love. A friendship that was bound together by the Lord. Jonathan respected David and David respected Jonathan. And although Jonathan protected David, as we've seen evidence through scripture, he also respected his father. And remained with him. Remained at his side. It was interesting that David had referred to his friendship with Jonathan as one that surpassed the experience he had in his, and I'll say plural, marriages. But then again, by saying marriages, David did not do what the Lord had desired for him to do. In marriages, but married multiple women. And we know that to be true. My friends, I love you guys. And I love spending time with Randy, Jesus, Robert. I love you guys. All of you. But I'd rather spend more time with my wife. <laughs> my love for you does not surpass my love for my wife. She is the one that has enraptured me. And she is the one that I love above all others. You see, the Bible tells us that we ought to be one with our spouse. It goes back to Genesis. It, it wasn't multiple wives was not designed somehow somewhere in uh, the the. Bible. It was, it was uh, something that the Lord allowed, but not something that the Lord desired. In fact, in fact, 
as we see in the New Testament especially, how it is that we are not only to have just one wife, but we are to be a one-woman man. That means that our eyes are to be for your beloved, your wife, and her alone. Your affection, your intimacy, everything should be for your wife. Enough shared with any other woman whatsoever. You could be friends with other women, men, but all of that, your affection and everything, should be completely devoted and committed to your wife. And so the Lord is honored in that way. So I say that because I think this one area for David, he didn't realize, he didn't know that relationship. Because I could never, in all my years that I've had some great friends, I've had some great friends, could never say, my love for you has surpassed that of my wife. I've never said that, sweetheart. (laughs) And we shouldn't ever be able to say that. So that's one thing. But what we do see here is that truly the relationship, the friendship that Jonathan and David had was special. One of a, just a, a beautiful friendship. And so we have, we understand how it is that uh, perhaps David can mourn over the death of his good friend Jonathan, but over Saul? It, and yet we see them both. In fact, he had more to say about Saul than he had to say about Jonathan. Again, deeply convicting. This is the very heart of God. This is what he desires for you and I. How then shall we respond to similar news? Oh, your enemy has fallen. Yay. I mean, um, I'm really saddened by that. We need to be sincere. You know, the way we grow in the Lord is by exercising discipline in the spirit consistently over time. That means we read the word, we meditate on it, we pray on the word, we apply the word as we, we gain understanding. And really, we do that over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. That is how we get stronger in the Lord. That is how we, you know, knowledge becomes wisdom because it's, it's rightly applied knowledge rightly. And, and so that's what we do over and over again. So that way, when we come to know something like this, we think about it when we're confronted with it. You know, why is it that you're bringing me that news? What is the motive for that? Be discerning. And also for yourself, make sure you guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Submit everything to the Lord and see if it's consistent with the truth of God's word. Considering God's grace and love demonstrated through Christ, how can we respond to bad news personally and demonstrate a maturity in Christ and a desire to bring him glory? Heavenly Father, that's what we desire, to bring you glory. And and I pray, Father, that, that we would, Lord, as we have come to know that perfect love, through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that by that we respond not just to others, not just to respond because we know that that's the right thing to do, but because that is our desire. That's our motive is to bring you glory. The rest of our lives after salvation is a response to the love that we have come to know through Christ our Lord. So I pray, Father, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, lead us in the truth, Help us to respond to conviction and, uh, and bless and honor you. So thank you, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name.